Today's conversation is all about processed foods. I'll be chatting with Erin, also known as Food Science Babe, about why processed need not be a dirty word. These days, we often hear that the best way to make healthy choices is to look for foods that are whole or natural and contain ingredients that you can pronounce. It turns out that we can't paint all processed foods with the same villainous brush. In fact, black and white food mantras like whole is always best, processed is always bad, are not only unfounded, but come with costs that we may not recognize. To be clear, neither of us is trying to persuade you to eat chips instead of veggies. We simply want to help you bring more nuance to how you view and how you navigate both processed foods and whole foods. Food Science Babe has worked in the food industry for over 10 years in both the conventional and organic sectors as an engineer and food scientist. Food Science Babe started her social media platform to spare others from falling prey to false information about food and the food industry, beliefs that she once held herself. In addition to being a stay-at-home mom to her adorable five-year-old daughter with special needs, Erin consults for small food companies in product development, nutrition panel creation, and regulatory guidance. Let's dig in. Welcome to Get Real Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chana Davis. This show cuts through the noise to give you science-based insights from real experts so that you can make smart, healthy choices. Hello, Erin. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Yeah, thanks for having me. What I want to talk about um, right now is processed foods and why processed is not necessarily a dirty word. So until recently, I would have been you know, someone who sort of parrots the message that a lot of us hear, which is that the best way to make healthy choices is to only eat whole foods, to look for one ingredient, to look for ingredients you can pronounce, um, and to, you know, to view processed foods as a bad, as universally a bad thing that we should all avoid and are bad for you, you know, full stop. Yep. So until mm-hmm. recently, I, I, I would have probably held that perspective. And I, and I do actually think there's some merit so there's some kernel of truth behind that that I, that I want to make sure we acknowledge. Um, but for me, I started to develop a more nuanced perspective on processed foods because of the plant-based innovations. So yeah. um, I did my PhD with Pat Brown, who founded Impossible Foods. And so he created the Impossible Burger, you know, using plant-based ingredients to mimic the taste and texture and nutrition, um, nutritional benefits of beef. And I saw people pushing back against that using as their logic, the fact that, well, it's more than one ingredient and it has ingredients I can't pronounce and it was made in a lab. Therefore it must be bad for you. And therefore beef must be better. Um, and so anyways, for me, that's what caused me to think, wait a second, this, this rule has a lot of limitations. And so what I'm hoping to do today is to just have a more nuanced discussion about processed foods. And, I, and I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of where you're coming from. The part that I've really uh, appreciated from your page that I want to make sure we, we sort of emphasize is, um, so you said the costs of these, of over applying these rules. You know, if you can have a good relationship with food and eat only whole foods and not feel restricted, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it's a misconception to believe, um, like when I think about a beef burger versus uh, an impossible burger, that the way they're made is 
is the is the main factor that's relevant as you determine the healthiness of them. To me, like like we reiterate, mm-hmm. it's the nutritional profile that matters. So why is it that in general we do see a relationship between processed food intake and poor health outcomes and obesity? And and from what I've read, that really speaks to the fact. Um, as a sort of a subset of processed foods that many, specifically ultra processed foods, have lots of added sugar. They have lots of added salt. They have um, these characteristics that make them sort of hyper palatable. That make us want to eat more than we necessarily need. They they encourage eating outside of food occasions, non hunger related eating, and all of that kind of contributes to overconsumption, um, overconsumption period, and overconsumption of certain ingredients. But that doesn't mean that every processed food fits that profile. I mean, some of them do, and some of them don't. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how right. I. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's just understanding that they can be a part of a healthy diet. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, I think a lot of times people think I'm advocating for a 100% ultra processed like diet, and and um, you know, just just advocating for understanding and not being afraid of specific ingredients and specific Mm -hmm. foods is really, you know, my goal in my page. I'm not saying that everyone should be eating um, a diet with, uh, you know, a majority of ultra processed foods or anything like that. But, you know, they can fit into an overall healthy diet. Like if you don't want to consume them, you don't have to. But I think the issue really is not whether, you know, a lot of the a lot of the misinformation comes from people that don't consume them, which is fine. Hey, if, if that works for you and like, like you said, you don't have a disordered relationship with food, that's fine. But I think they kind of turn that into like, my diet is superior and this is why, you know, it, it sort of turns into, I avoid these ingredients because they're toxic. And then all of a sudden, all of this misinformation comes along with that food choice that, that isn't true. And, you know, it can be harmful for, um, I'll just give an example, it's more the pesticide side of things, but lists that come up like the dirty dozen, um, you know, those can cause consumers to not buy any produce at all because they're afraid of pesticide residues. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. consumers that might not be able to pay a little bit more um, for organic foods or you know, even even misinformation that around canned foods and um, frozen foods, they might just not buy any produce at all because they can't afford fresh produce or it's just not, they don't have it available at their store. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these sort of these rules can be harmful as well because um, people can end up being afraid of healthy foods that they should be eating um, mm-hmm. because of these rules and it can be detrimental to populations that might not have access to um, whole fresh foods, but that doesn't mean that you can't still have a healthy diet. You know, I mean, you can get, you can get rice and beans and like I said, frozen canned foods and things like that. And, and when you, when you start only, you know, when, when the narrative is sort of like, oh, you can't eat healthy unless you eat fresh whole foods that, that sort of, um, you know, it's not evidence-based and it also can be harmful for those that don't have access to fresh whole foods. Yeah. I also think it's just uh, a misleading, you know, algorithm for making personal choices. Like mm-hmm. you, there are examples on both sides. Um, for example, like coconut oil, you know, it's one ingredient, it's all natural, yada, yada, but it's also very high in saturated fat. And it's probably going to raise your yeah. LDL cholesterol. So if you start slathering everything, coconut oil, I'm sorry, but that's not 
a health plus. Right. Um, right. And and on the on the other side, and I think of a food like infant formula. I've actually written yes. a lot about the the realities of the differences between breast and infant formula, which are much more um, subtle than people might expect. Um, there yep. shouldn't be shame and guilt associated with feeding your child infant formula. It is not a toxic food, but it's ultra processed. Right. And, and I think to right. me, it comes back to um, what was the intent of the food processing? Because food scientists can create whatever foods the customers need or want. And so if you want mm -hmm. a highly nutritious processed food, then you can create one, um, like a medical right. diet, for example, right? Yep. Um, and I think but what we see out there for processed foods reflects, you know, consumer desire for hyperpalatable snack foods and so on. But it doesn't mean it's not possible to create a healthy ultra-processed Right, food. yeah, I mean, that's the thing too. Like a lot of processed food, you know, they're just, they, they are allowing um, even, you know, whole fruits and vegetables to last longer or, um, you know, some of, some of those greens that you'll see in, in uh, specific packages. I mean, that's allowing it to, to last longer. Um, so it's not being thrown away. And so I think a lot of times too, it's like we think of processed foods as only like the, the cookies and the chips and like all these other things. But like you said, there can be, um, there can be what you would consider to be ultra pot processed foods that, you know, they have a place. One that I'm just thinking of right now is, um, they're those little, those little puffs for, for when, um, oh, the, the uh, toddler ones? when, yeah, when kids are transitioning sort of from like purees to, to solid mm -hmm. foods. And, um, it, somebody had posted something about how these puffs were, were toxic they they weren't real food you know it's basically just um i don't know if it's oat or rice but but one of those and it's essentially just puffed and then there's maybe a little bit of flavor and like a very very tiny bit of sugar but mm -hmm. you know they were fear-mongering over this puff like mm -hmm. if you feed these to your kids you're poisoning them whatever and it just really irked me because um you know specifically my daughter she she has cerebral palsy and so that food for us was like, it was amazing because it, it, we weren't really ever sure if she was going to be able to eat solid foods um, on her own. We, there was a, there was a time where she, we thought she might have to um, need a feeding tube. And so when we were trying to transition to solid foods, that was like the one food that she was able to pick up and she was able to eat it safely because it dissolves. Um, so we weren't worried about her choking on it, but it just makes me mad because there are different situations and I shouldn't feel like I'm poisoning my child. And obviously I know better, but you know, there's parents out there that, that don't know better. And then they might, they might think like, Oh my gosh, am I, am I poisoning my child? And, mm -hmm. and it's just like, and it also doesn't mean that that's the only thing that she's getting too. So I think there's sort of this black and white thinking that like, if you're feeding your kid that they, they don't have a healthy diet overall, but it's like, that can be a very small part of an overall healthy diet. Mm -hmm. Just because she was eating some of these puffs every day, it doesn't mean that like that was the only thing she was eating. And so I think it's just the black and white thinking of like, if you give your kid this food, you're, you know, you're poisoning them and they have an unhealthy diet. And it's like that food in and of itself, like that, that one food you're adding to their diet isn't just all of a sudden making it unhealthy or mm -hmm. making it toxic or something like that. And, and a lot of times that's what, that's what 
uh, that marketing or or that misinformation might make a parent feel like and yeah it's like you know like i said it can be harmful because that was that was a food that allowed my daughter to be able to transition from purees to solid foods so mm -hmm. um you know yeah. there's a time and a place yeah. for a lot of it I was hoping we could uh, go through some of the common myths and ingredients that that incite fears and, and you can, you know, ad address those head yeah, on. So a lot of times things like preservatives just get a really bad rap and, you know, those are considered to some people to be additives that are unnecessary. But mm -hmm. in reality, I mean, preservatives are making foods um, safer. They're making foods able to last longer. So the two biggest things that you need to control when you're creating a shelf stable product um, or just something even that's refrigerated that you want to last longer, you have to control for um, pH and uh, water activity. And so you'll, I mean, the, the, the three biggest, um, uh, I guess you could say, categories of preservatives that you'll see are either salts, which are controlling water activity. Um, you'll see acids, which is controlling pH. And then you'll see on things that are high in oil content or even just oils themselves, you'll see antioxidants in there. And so, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these time, a lot of times these ingredients, you might not, you might not understand what they are. Um, they might have uh, names that you, that you don't recognize, that you, that you can't pronounce, that you've maybe heard something about where somebody calls it toxic. Um, you know, a lot of these ingredients do have bad reputations just because people don't really understand what they are. Um, but, but like I said, they are making, they are allowing food to stay safer, um, for longer, not, you know, grow harmful bacteria or microorganisms. Um, you know, as far as oils go, they help to keep them, um, from going rancid, um, so they can, they can stay on the shelf longer. And so these things aren't making foods, um, you know, they're certainly not making foods less safe. In a lot of cases, they're making foods more safe. Um, like I said, they're, they can reduce food waste. And I mean, even things like, people might see a, something like ascorbic acid on the label and think, oh, that must be bad because I'm not really sure what that is. I mean, it, it's vitamin C and these things, even vitamins can be used as preservatives. So mm -hmm. vitamin E is used as an antioxidant in um, oils. And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of these, these ingredients that you might see sort of at the end of the ingredient deck, um, are typically the ones that people kind of look at and they're like, oh, I'm not really sure. I, I'm not really sure if I should be eating this. And first of all, they're in there at super, super low amounts typically. I mean, they're at the end of the ingredient deck and they they are in there for a good reason. They're keeping it safer. Um, but I just think there's this fear around very specific ingredients. And, you know, sometimes somebody will send me something on, I don't know, something like carrageenan. And it's like, mm -hmm. I'll have to even just look at like, why is this, why, why are people all of a sudden scared of this? And you'll typically look into it and it's just something just crazy. Like, you know, a study that they found where it was, um, you know, given to rats at super high doses and stuff like that. And it's just like, that has no, that's not applicable to the amounts that they're used in foods. And the other thing too, is that foods are, you know, they are regulated. These additives are regulated. And so I think a lot of people also just think like we can just put whatever we want into foods at whatever amounts we want and there's no regulations around it, but that's not true. I mean, especially these additives that are being put in there, they, they are specifically approved and a lot of them are approved at very specific amounts in different applications. Mm 
mm-hmm. um, you know, based on toxicology data. And so mm-hmm. the amounts that are actually ending up in the foods are, you know, incredibly low, way lower than any amount that would be harmful or anything like that. So um, I really don't think there's any, you know, specific ingredients that people necessarily need to avoid. As I was kind of thinking through just how I, how I my own thinking has evolved on this and the information that's helped me to, to you know, achieve more clarity, I think there are, I think there are two aspects up to it. Um, one is a recognition of certain scientific principles, like the dose makes the poison. And, and that, you know, mm-hmm. when we think about toxicity, that it's, it doesn't really, that knowing whether something came from a lab or what came from nature doesn't, is not really what matters. What matters is how high the dose is relative to the dose that's harmful to us. So I think that's kind of yeah. how, how, I, how I've started to think about like the, the scientific piece and, and that's that sort of a foundational piece of knowledge. The second foundational piece of knowledge that you alluded to is this sort of species difference. Um, well, first of all, the, the dose with the rat experiments, is, it, that's an issue both of species and of dose. But we, I mean, we can't just test yeah. everything in humans. So as much as I don't like animal right. testing, yeah. gratuitous animal testing, there's, you know, there's, we need to find some way to test things before humans. So um, anyways, yeah. the dose consideration being a huge one and, and that so often we see animal studies blown out of proportion that we're using, you know, egregious yeah. doses. Um, right. A second thing is just sort of species specific differences, which we'll maybe talk about um, later when we get into pesticides, is that, you know, something that's harmful to a plant, it's, some, some some compounds have very specific mechanisms of action, like it might be antimicrobial, uh, but that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean anything for me. I mean, it might for my gut microflora and so on, but we, we right. have to be careful about extrapolating in general, whenever we extrapolate yeah. from animals to humans. Yeah. But, so yeah, the dose make, yeah. Yeah. Any so, yeah, other, are there any, anything the, else on the scientific um, on the scientific foundations? Is there anything else that you would maybe add in there that really helps helps you frame the whole way you think about food ingredients? Yeah, I think the biggest things are just those um, you know core concepts of chemistry and toxicology. Just mm-hmm. you know, I think just understanding the dose makes the poison that applies to all chemicals, whether they are natural or synthetic. So Mm -hmm. a lot of these arbitrary food rules and kind of mantras and stuff like that, like they just always seem to come back to the appeal to nature fallacy Mm -hmm. where people just assume that if it's natural, it's safer, but we have to, I mean, I even find my, it's tough to not think that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But you just, you know, whether something is, some of the most toxic chemicals that we know of are naturally occurring. So Mm -hmm. Even when it even when it comes to colors and flavors in foods too, I mean, there's there's marketing on packages now that specifically says like no synthetic colors or flavors, and mm-hmm. people assume that the natural ones are safer or or better, and you know they're not. Um, the, the the synthetic ones sometimes are even tested um, to an e- even more extent, and so we we actually have more data on some of these synthetic um, ingredients a lot of times mm-hmm. and. Um, and so, yeah, I think just understanding that whether a chemical is natural or synthetic, just say, you know, so much of the food marketing out there is just literally stating that something is natural mm-hmm. and then people just assume it's, it's better or it's safer or it's healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to understand that yeah. natural doesn't really tell you anything helpful about um, the to- toxicity or the safety of, of a given chemical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and like you said too, 
um, you know, those those rodent studies, they they are used to figure out um, toxic doses so that we can set um, the levels in foods at, you know, the doses that we set them at. But mm -hmm. what happens is people that really don't understand what those studies are being used for is they take those and they, they're like, oh my gosh, look what happened to these rats. Like, mm -hmm. this is horrible for us. Not understanding that the dose makes the poison and yeah. Um, yeah. they're in foods at way lower doses. So, yeah. so yeah, I think just understanding those... so just, yeah, just understanding some pretty fundamental concepts, mm -hmm. I think is, is helpful to kind of cut through a lot of the marketing and, and just sort of a lot of the myth, myths that you see out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's helpful, like, again, coming back to the animal experiments, the way they, my understanding, um, having not worked in the food industry, is that is that uh, they basically escalate the doses as high as it takes to see something bad happen. And then they want to know, what yep. level did it take for something bad to happen? And then they regulate right. it at, you know, thousands of fold lower than that. So we were going to make sure we're nowhere yep. close. To that. After adjusting for species specific factors, they then regulate to yep. give us a huge buffer between how much we might right. get. Yep, that's exactly how it works. Very, so they figure out basically yeah. the yeah the the no adverse effects level, and then mm -hmm. um, they essentially set it so that you there would be there would what ends up happening is that the food itself is basically more toxic than these additives in there. Like you would have to eat a toxic amount of right, food right. before reaching right. like a toxic level of any of these mm -hmm. additives. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I remember seeing something about like glyphosate and Cheerios or whatever, and this pesticide yep. is a different story, but you'd have to eat 20 yep. boxes a day or something. I mean, okay, well, you've yeah, got bigger like problems a, a if you eat 20 boxes a day. Right. <laughs> a child would have to eat like over 600 servings a day, and it's like, mm -hmm. obviously the food is going to, you're going to have issues yeah. from the actual food itself before the, the pesticide. I would love to help people shift their thinking um, away from concerns about toxins and more towards is my child meeting all of their nutritional needs? And am I taking care not to overdo it on some of the common things we overdo, like you know, sugar-sweetened beverages, excess salt, mm -hmm. excess sugar? We don't want to overdo those things, but you can still incorporate right. some processed foods and not overdo it. Right, yep. We're kind of all over the place here, but bringing it back to something um, earlier when I wanted to make sure we're giving a, a balanced perspective on that there are some, obviously that whole foods have a lot of merit, um, and that, and you know that this is not a completely baseless rule of thumb, but it is just a rule of thumb with limitations to to apply um, more judiciously, and yeah. not as in a black and white way. The other thing I wanted to recognize in terms of just coming back to additives is that, um, or I think a good example here is actually artificial artificial sweeteners, is is sort of the personal element of there's what's toxic and then there's like what agrees with you. So a lot of like sugar mm -hmm. alcohols might cause gas and bloating, for example. Yeah. Does that mean it's toxic? That's that's not the same thing. That's saying it doesn't really agree with me. So some people might find I feel better when I remove these things from my diet, but it doesn't necessarily yeah. equate with toxicity and poisoning, you know? Right. Yeah. And there are there are like, you know, some completely natural foods too that somebody might eat and it might not agree with them and Lactose. that doesn't obviously yeah exactly yeah that doesn't mean that it's toxic um you know if it's if it doesn't agree with you then don't eat it but yeah like the the artificial sweeteners a lot of times people will say those are toxic and and they shouldn't be consumed and you know once again they are regulated they are safe at the amounts that we consume them and um, you know, for some people that want to have, you know, pe 
people that have diabetes and they want to have something sweet every once in a while, like it can be something that could be a good choice for them. And, Mm -hmm. and, and once again, I think that's where the sort of shaming part comes into, or just, um, scaring consumers like that have been eating artificial, you know, sweeteners in a few things. And all of a sudden they see misinformation about it. And it's like, you know, am I poisoning myself? Mm -hmm. And, and Mm -hmm. like you said, I mean, like something being toxic versus it not agreeing with you is, you know, those aren't the same thing. Like, inulin is one too that doesn't agree with me at all so it's a fiber that um Mm. we put into things like fiber one bars and so it you know it's a naturally derived ingredient but i cannot eat anything with inulin in it does that mean that it's toxic no it doesn't mean it's Mm -hmm. toxic but Mm -hmm. just doesn't agree with me so yeah 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 i think all of the um let's say pretty much all of the pitfalls of navigating choices of processed foods that you can maybe apply the same rules of thumb to um, non-processed foods is don't overdo it on one thing. Be mindful of your own personal reaction to it. Um, Pay attention to the actual nutritional profile of it, not just its origins. Um, Right. You know, look for more fiber, look yeah, for less sugar, look for less salt. It's it's all the same yeah. rules. Both of these are very diverse categories, I suppose, is, is the bottom line message I'm hoping to convey to people. Yeah, and I think I think a good example, too, is just um, added sugars. Um, so like you said, pay attention to the actual nutritional value, not necessarily the origin. And um, I, did, I did an article, and I, I made, like, a graphic of all the different added sugars and just sort of showing, like, a lot of people think if maple syrup or honey or agave mm-hmm. syrup is on a label that that it's healthier than if mm-hmm. sugar was used. But in reality, I mean, these things, they all have uh, four calories per gram. They're pretty much mm-hmm. the same ratio of, of fructose to glucose. Mm-hmm. And there's really your body is really not able to know the difference, even high fructose corn syrup, which yeah. obviously people, <laughs> you know, there's a there's a very bad reputation with that. But it's so interesting because it is they they are metabolized by your body very similarly mm-hmm. you know uh regular table sugar versus honey versus high fructose corn syrup and so mm-hmm. you know it is more about the actual nutritional value of something versus the origin of it yeah i th- i think that now that there's this added sugar label in the u.s i i think that they honey and so on and maple syrup didn't get a pass mm-hmm. am i right no so those yeah. will be added sugars so yeah. those are all going to be considered added sugars even um so even something like, uh, you know, a lot of like fruit snacks, they'll say like made with real fruit, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of them use fruit concentrates. And mm-hmm. so whatever the difference is between a 100% juice and the concentrate, those added sugars um, will have to be labeled as added sugars, even mm-hmm. if they're coming from a fruit juice. So, mm-hmm. um, so that will be a good way to see, you know, if you're not familiar with the types of added sugars, you know, on the ingredient deck, there will be a specific line now for added sugars. Yeah, I'm glad to see that um, that happening. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be helpful and um, hopefully less confusing than, you know, I think a lot of people used to just look for sugar on the label and they were like, oh, if there's no sugar, then there's no added sugar, but it'll, you know, now it'll be easier to see that there is. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we ended up uh, taking more time than I had planned to, so I feel like we should probably bring this to a close. Is there anything that um, sort of parting 
words to leave people with in terms of how to navigate their food choices with you know, facts, not fear, especially when it comes to looking at ingredient lists? Yeah, I think just don't pay attention to those very simplified rules that you might see. Um, just keep in mind those fundamental concepts that the dose makes the poison uh, applies to all chemicals and that, you know, whether it's natural or synthetic doesn't really tell you anything helpful. So I think just some very basic concepts can kind of help you to kind of see through a lot of a lot of those you know, silly, silly things that you'll see or myths that you see perpetuated, um, mm -hmm. specifically mostly on social media. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, sorry, one more thing. Um, where can people find more from you if they want to learn yeah. about uh, your work? So Food Science Babe, so I have an Instagram page and then Facebook and then um, Twitter, it's Food Sci Babe and then I write an article a month for Egg Daily, so you can um, look on their page too for some of my articles too. Mm -hmm.